please stand with me to honor the reading of God's word? The scripture reading for today is Matthew 7 verses 5 through, excuse me, Matthew 5 verses 7 through 9. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, you're good. Good morning. I got so excited before she even said, stand up. I was ready, ready to read the word because I'm really excited for this time. Uh, my name is Pastor Alberto. I serve here as the lead pastor of this church and get the honor and privilege to serve alongside our co-elder Thaddeus. And uh, I- I'm just really excited uh, to be here. Uh, I was sharing with our team this morning. I-, I say this a lot, but I think it's important because um, maybe it's just me, but I've gotten to know a few of you guys and I'm just as forgetful as you are, and uh, sometimes we can forget why we're here and what we're doing, and it can seem kind of like we're just doing this uh, religious activity. And uh, this this past week, I was I was in a friend's wedding, and I, I had the honor to be one of his groomsmen, and we were celebrating my friend David, who's this Chinese pastor, and and this bridal party was so diverse. Me, this this Mexican guy who gets the pastor at church, and then this Anglican Nigerian priest, and then this Korean Presbyterian, and a white guy who does church history in D.C. And it was like the opening to a joke, like, and we all walked into a bar, and um, we had fundamental disagreements about some random secondary issue. Uh, but we were talking and getting to know each other and, and explaining how we do church. And uh, I was so encouraged because though we had different expressions, uh, we all agree that, that, that this is a service because we're, we're here to serve the gospel. We're here to, to receive this good meal of God's word and prayer and communion. And then we're here to worship God, to be transformed by him as we sing these songs and, 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 and truly uh, make our heart believe, Lord, would you move in such a way where it's, it's your spirit taking over? and directing and, and leading every single area of my life. Sometimes we can sing those songs and, and they just kind of go through our mind, but what would it look like if we actually believed God for that? That, that, that his spirit would take over and fill us and consume us. And so it's this moment where we're really confessing, Lord, this is the desire of my heart as I'm worshiping you. Would you meet me right now and transform me? And uh, we gather to be transformed. We gather to grow in our love for God and then hopefully be so filled with God's love that it's overflowing out of our hearts that it begins to touch others as we love others in our community, as we serve our families and friends and coworkers and then come back empty to be filled again. And so I'm really excited to to worship with you guys this morning uh, in the Word. Uh, We are continuing our series through the book of Matthew called Follow Me as we take a moment to slow down and examine what our walk with Jesus looks like and what areas have fallen out of step and how our lives can be in step with Jesus. And so last week we kicked off Matthew chapter 5 as we opened up the the Beatitudes, which means uh, it's this Latin word for blessings and Jesus begins to describe the type of person that is blessed. More specifically, this is what a kingdom in the uh, this is what a kingdom citizen looks like. And if you read that list for the first time, or if you've read it dozens of of time, you you might have noticed that it's it's so countercultural. It's so upside down. The Lord says that those who are blessed are those who mourn. 
And he says, when you mourn, you'll be comforted. And it's not the powerful uh, and, and the assertive and the aggressive go-getter who builds a name for themselves that will inherit the earth. It's, it's the meek. It's the lowly. Uh, it's those that find their refuge in the Lord. And, and that true satisfaction doesn't come from feasting on everything this world has to offer. It comes from hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And, and only then will we be filled. And so we're going to continue working our way through these Beatitudes. They're broken up into uh, three groups if you want to nerd out. The first group we covered last week, which is sort of this theme of, of depending on God, realizing our need in God. Uh, this week, we're uh, going to cover verses 7 through 9, and, and really the, the theme here is uh, those who live for God. Uh, what does it look like to live with God and for God uh, actively? And so that's what we're going to unpack today. So we're going to look at this one more time. Uh, our team is going to hand out some Bibles. Uh, if you need a, a Bible, I want to invite you to shoot up your hand, because I want to invite you to look at this word with me. And uh, if you uh, don't have a Bible or, or if you want to look at the screen, you're more than welcome to do that. But I invite you to, to set your eyes on this word with me. If you're using the Bibles we're handing out, it's page 809 on the bottom right. Uh, and I want you to see this with fresh eyes all over again. Uh, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So with the remaining time that we have together, we're going to unpack three attributes that we just read here uh, that, that describe a kingdom citizen. The first one is a kingdom citizen is a merciful presence. The second, a kingdom citizen is pure in heart. And third, a kingdom citizen is a peacemaker. So if you're taking notes, merciful presence, pure in heart and peacemaker. Let's pray before we unpack these. Lord, we come in Jesus' name, um, and we thank you um, for being uh, the good father uh, who has sent his son to die, uh, to gather all those who were lost in sin and create a new family. And Lord, thank you that this, this morning, this community is, is just a small taste of, of the universal heavenly family that, that we're going uh, to be a, a part of and enjoy uh, in, and worship you. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that as we take this time to look into this word, I, I know that there's a dozen different distractions and a dozen different thoughts and worries about tomorrow. Um, Lord, I, I pray that you would just help us to, to look into the word, to focus this morning, um, and uh, open up our hearts to be transformed by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so merciful presence. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, this idea of mercy is a profound theme that we see weaved in and out of the Scripture. And when we see this word for mercy, there's a couple different Greek and Hebrew words that sort of pop up depending on the context, but they're all usually translated into English as love, compassion, pity, grace, favor, kindness, loving kindness. And, and depending on the passage of scripture, uh, one word will be used uh, that really describes this idea of mercy. And, and mercy is the most familiar idea. Uh, mercy is a familiar idea as, as we think about uh, God and who he is and, and what he's done. As it relates to God, uh, God is merciful because he gives humans what they do not deserve. 
uh, when we describe God as merciful or when we think about uh, God as merciful, it's taking into consideration who we are and how uh, in our sin we've trespassed against God and and we deserve death and uh, separation from him. But in his great mercy, he gives us what we don't deserve. And what is that? New life in him. God shows his kindness. God shows his compassion. God shows his love and gives us new life, that which we don't deserve. Uh, Here's a good example of God uh, not giving the psalmist uh, what he deserves. And this is how David writes about it in Psalm 25, verse 6 through 7. He says, remember your mercy, O Lord, uh, and your steadfast love, for they have been from old. You've always been loving. You're always going to be loving God. It is your character to be merciful. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness. Oh, Lord. So why is the psalmist calling out for mercy? Why is David saying, Lord, remember your mercy? Um, that God clearly has not forgotten who he is and what he is like. Rather, what's happening is that David recognizes uh, the brokenness within him. He, he, he recognizes that he is a sinful man against a holy God, and it elicits all sorts of emotions. And one of them is him realizing that he deserves judgment. He deserves punishment. He doesn't deserve God's goodness and kindness, and yet he cries out to the Lord to bestow it upon him because God has revealed himself to be a merciful and loving God. And, and David goes on to say, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. In verse 11, he's examined himself. It's almost like when Jesus says, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. We see this on display. David is realizing that there's nothing of value that he can bring to God uh, to change his mind. Uh, That when he examines himself, he's a man full of sin. Verse 12, who is the man who fears the Lord? He, him, he will instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Be merciful to me for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. And David is a man who who recognizes sinful reality and he's calling upon God to be merciful to him, uh, to show him kindness, to give him life, to deliver him from his afflictions and his suffering. And the testimony of the scriptures, believe it or not, is that God is a merciful God. Time and time again, we've seen enemies oppose God. We've seen God's people oppose them. We've seen time and time again, God show his mercy and his love to people who who do not deserve it. And the scriptures are there to remind you of that so that when you feel the inner workings of your heart cry out, I'm broken, I'm, I'm sinful, I'm afflicted, I'm troubled. May you remember that you serve a merciful God. That when we cry out to mercy, he answers that prayer. Every single time somebody cried out for mercy in the scriptures, the Lord gives mercy. 
And that is such a sweet, beautiful promise. And so what is our response to God's mercy? Well, when we think about blessings, uh, sometimes uh, in a super Americanized culture, it, it, we, we think about blessings uh, so transactionally, like, like I want to be blessed so I can do whatever I want and get mine. Uh, but when the scriptures talk about blessings, we, we see a, a few things happening. One, God blesses us because he can. Uh, in his grace and in his mercy, he can do that. And our response to God's blessings are always two things. Uh, it, it's worshiping God and loving others. Or as Jesus says, loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and loving others. So when God blesses us, it's not so that you can accumulate financial wealth and live a really good life or uh, be really comfortable where you are and have all the stuff you ever wanted and live the life you wanted. Rather, when God blesses us, he blesses us and our response is to worship him. And how do we do that? We, we love God. We, we serve him with the gifts that he's given us. We approach him with a posture of gratitude and humility, and then we take those blessings and use it to serve others. We use the gifts that God's given us to advance his kingdom, to love our neighbor. So as we think about God blessing us with this gift of mercy, what is our response? To posture ourselves like the psalmist and praise God. Love him, worship him, cry out that he is good and worthy of our life. And so we do this vertical movement where we love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, but he doesn't leave us there. He pushes us horizontally to love others the same. Uh, You see, we express love to God and then we love others following this great commandment to love God and to love others. And so how do we love others? By being a merciful presence. And what does it mean to be a merciful presence? It means to express God's heart of love and compassion and kindness to others around us. And uh, this looks like a a variety of ways. It's, It's not reduced down to certain activities. What we see from the scripture is welcoming the stranger, uh, clothing the naked, Uh, feeding the hungry, visiting the uh, prisoner as the early church practiced, caring for the hurting and the sick. What does it mean to be a merciful presence? Noticing the forgotten and bringing them into the family of God, serving the widow and the orphan in distress, forgiving your enemies and forgiving those who've trespassed against you. You see, being a merciful presence means these things and a whole lot more. But for today's purposes, I, I, I think it can be summed up in two things that I want to highlight. Being a merciful presence means providing comfort and solidarity to others. And then two, not treating people according to their sins. And here's why I think this. Uh, look with me uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 3. Come on, Bible people. Let's go. It's not too late to get a Bible in your hand. Uh, maybe it is, because I'm just going to roll with it. So look at the screen. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Here's what it says. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Why? So that we can comfort those who are in any affliction. So God blesses us and and we receive his comfort and it moves us to worship him. He doesn't leave us there. When he blesses us, we move towards others. So he comforts us and we comfort others with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. 
For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we uh, share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. The Father of mercies. As we, as we unpacked last week, those who mourn will be comforted. Those who are afflicted will be comforted. And God is bestowing this comfort, this love, this kindness to people who are afflicted, not so that they can just be left to themselves and experience now a higher quality of life and go about their daily business. Rather, so that they can be thrusted into community and identify people who are suffering the exact same way and literally be a beacon of hope saying, I've been afflicted too. And comfort and peace, it's on the way. Do not lose hope. And I'm not leaving you until you get there. Do you see that church? When God blesses us, it's so that we can grow in a life of worshiping him and then living and loving, living for others and loving others as we've been loved by God. And so what we see here is that God is called the father of mercies, the good God who blesses us with kindness and love and compassion and gives us what we do not deserve and forgives us. And his children are called to show mercy through comforting the afflicted. Sharing in suffering, reminding people to hope in God. Church, who is suffering in your life? Who is afflicted? Who is hopeless? Who is feeling the weight of suffering and the world cave in on them? Could it be that the Lord is bringing to mind that person because you are called to be the one who brings comfort and hope to them? I don't think it's a coincidence that, 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 that God would bring people to mind or place people around us who are afflicted and suffering and uncomfortable when he's deposited his empowering presence in us to go bring hope and comfort. Is it a coworker? Is it a neighbor? Is it a person so far down your contact list that you've just completely ignored but don't hate them enough to delete the number? Who is God calling you to love, church? And and we're reminded that as his children, we're called to show mercy through comforting the afflicted, sharing in their suffering and reminding people to hope in God. And I I love verse eight through uh, 11. My my, my thought was, let's just scrap this series and preach this. So I'm just gonna read it, but we're gonna come back to it because it's so good. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. Paul's writing this firsthand. I've, I've been afflicted. I've, my life has been on the line. I've been thrown in jail, beaten, left for dead. I, I know affliction and suffering. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Have you ever felt that way? So burdened, so heavy, so overwhelmed, so over it that you are just done with life. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. That's how bad it was. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Are you afflicted? Are you suffering? Are you burdened? Do you feel like you've been issued a 
death sentence, may I remind you that the God, the Father of mercies is with you and is bringing comfort firsthand. And I'm praying and believing through those around you. And this is not a wasted time. Rather, he's teaching us dependency upon him. He delivered us from uh, such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. To be a merciful presence means that we provide comfort to the afflicted and the suffering. It means we stand in solidarity with those who are being mistreated and uh, uh, experience all sorts of injustices. But I believe it also means uh, that, that we don't treat people according to their sins. And the reason why is, I want you to look with me in Psalm 103, verse 10. Uh, this is David once again saying, uh, he's declaring this of God. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. And this is a beautiful promise that we have in Christ, that, 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 that the, the Father of mercies does not deal with us transactionally according to who we are or what we've done, but we're welcomed into the family of God, not based on our performance, but who Jesus is and what he's done. So the, the idea is no longer you're a sinner, you are a saint. And, and, and this is such a powerful declaration because the story that's in the background of this psalm is, is, is the Exodus. And, and in the Exodus, we see God raise up the leader Moses and, and he's using Moses to deliver the enslaved Israelites from the oppressive hand of Egypt. And God is escorting them to the promised land. He's providing for them on the way and sustaining them in a miraculous way, forming a nation that would glorify him. And one would think that after all of these miraculous events, food falling from the sky, the waters parting, being delivered from a formal way of life that was oppressive, and now you are with your people and serving God, that your heart would rise up to gratitude, uh, that there would just be such an honor and reverence for the Lord, but the exact opposite happened. Uh, uh, People uh, began to get critical and they failed to trust God and worship him alone. And Derek Kidner says uh, that no story surpasses the Exodus for a record of human unworthiness. Uh, The reason why is because there was tons of grace that was abounding and, and tons of benefits that were given to them, yet they forgot it all. It reminds us of the sullen ingratitude which God encounters in reply to the forgiving, healing, and redeeming of which the opening verse is saying. God heals, God redeems, God rescued, God saves, God sustains, and yet their hearts are given over to foreign idols. And what we see from verse 10 is that God, believe it or not, has been historically infinitely wronged by his nation and by us. And yet what we see God do is that he tempers his wrath. He tempers his justice at what cost? The price of his son the life of his son. And and we see this in Christ, that Christ gets dealt with for our sins. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Why? Because the son gets the punishment that we deserve. 
And, and when the son gets our punishment and God's wrath in exchange, we get his holiness and his righteousness because this is what Christ is making us. And in Christ, your default position, hear me, church, regardless of how uh, broken and sinful uh, you might consider yourself this morning, if you are in Christ, you are a son and daughter, and you're not a sinner, you are a saint. And if you feel sin rise up within you, as I've heard one friend say, you're just a saint with a sin problem. No longer identified as a sinner with a continuing sin problem. Our, our nature changes. Our identity changes. We become the righteousness of God. And we're called to pursue a life worthy of this calling. How? By loving God and loving others the way we've been loved by God generously continue to make our way through this. A kingdom citizen is pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This is fun. If mercy is a core theme of the scriptures, uh, the heart is, is core, central to human life, the physical heart. And, and when we consider the word pure, uh, purity and cleanliness were this important religious theme in, in Jesus' day and age. Everything was really separated by clean and unclean, pure and impure. But when we think about the word purity in our day and age, we just automatically go sexual purity and then we stop there. Uh, yet the idea of purity goes so much deeper and covers a lot more than, than sexual ethics. And we're, we're about to see how. When Jesus says purity... Notice that he directs it at the heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. And this is fascinating because what Jesus blesses is not necessarily what the religious teachers of his day and age were prioritizing and considering blessed. The, the religious elite said, uh, what is God blessed or what's considered blessed? Reading the scriptures and being obedient to the law and doing good works and practicing the Sabbath, living life according to our standards. And yet when we read the Beatitudes and we read the things that God blesses, it's hard to pinpoint any activities like scripture reading, prayer, these religious activities that were seen by the Pharisees. Though they weren't bad, they weren't what Jesus was prioritizing and considering blessed. And, yet, and he says, blessed are the pure in heart. I love this because Jesus doesn't say, blessed are the pure in language. Although he wants that. He doesn't say, blessed are the pure in actions. Although that's a good thing. He doesn't say, blessed are the pure in Sabbath or blessed are the pure faithful law keepers. No, he simply says, blessed are the pure in heart. Not blessed are the pure in thought life. Not blessed are the pure with their bodies. Not blessed are the pure with their screen time. These things are important. They demand holiness. But what Jesus is getting at is not external behavior change. He's going after internal transformation. This is why Jesus himself says in Matthew 15, verse 19 through 20, from out of the heart come evil thoughts. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slanders. These are what defile a person. These are what makes a person impure. Uh, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. So what Jesus is saying is that the corrupted heart internally is the mechanism that produces all sorts of external problems, issues, and sin patterns. Church, it's the internal mechanism that produces 
all sorts of external problems. The reason why we see wars out there is because there's a war in here. The reason why we see so much brokenness out there is because there's brokenness in here. The reason why we see uh, all sorts of division and all sorts of chaos is because it's in here coming outside of us and setting fire to the world around us. It's the corrupted heart that is the mechanism that produces all sorts of external problems, issues, and sin patterns. And what Jesus is after is not changing your external behavior because we all know that you can have a good external behavior and a good thing going on out there, but inside it's rotting, it's dying. And Jesus is after transforming the heart so the heart becomes the mechanism that pumps the life of Christ into every area of life. Why? Because a purity of heart produces a growing purity in life. And Jesus would continue this Old Testament theme that we see in Psalm 23, verse 3 through 4. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? Who has clean hands and a pure heart? Who does not lift up his, he who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, beginning with the pure heart. You see, one of the implications of of having a pure heart is this idea to be centered on Jesus. Um, The heart that is pure is unrestricted by sin. And so the heart that is is pure and completely uh, aligned and centered on Jesus is flowing towards Jesus. Uh, Michael Wilkins says that in the Old Testament, uh, a pure heart describes a person whose single-minded loyalty to God affects every area of life. The pure heart is a person whose single-minded loyalty and allegiance to Jesus affects every area of life. So that means every interaction, every decision, every step we take is with Jesus in mind and filtering our life, taking him into consideration. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. How will they see God? Well, in, in the present tense, we can know him spiritually. Uh, We can know God, we can see him in Christ, we can grow in relationship with him. And in the future, we will see God come uh, in full bodily form in the person of Christ and the pure of heart will see Jesus when he returns. They will know God. So to be a kingdom citizen is is to be a merciful presence. It's to have our allegiance, a single-minded loyalty on him, to be so uh, uh, focused on him that, that, that he drives and orchestrates and, and is at the center of everything that we do. And it also means to be a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. So where purity means loyalty to God in every area of life, the word peace in the scriptures means completeness wholeness in every single area of life. And when we think about peace, we always sort of think about tranquility, like that, that feeling. I don't know how to describe it, but it's just, you know it, it's, it's peace. And we pray for peace. We, we usually pray that, that, that we would sense a sense of, uh, of calmness and stability. Uh, when we consider global crises, we, we pray, uh, God, would there be peace, an absence of war? Now, that understanding of peace isn't wrong, but it's only one slice of of the pie because when we look at the scriptures and how it describes peace, the the word is translated shalom. And one of the Hebrew ideas is, is thinking about a circle. 
and at the center you are standing and you are equally and balancedly related to everything around you where there's this sense of harmony with God, a sense of harmony with creation and with others, a sense of completeness and wholeness. Uh, Frederick Bruner says that the person in the center of the circle is related justly to every point on the circumference of the circle. Now, the world we live in isn't, isn't that perfect because we find ourselves not, you know, our, our relationship with God has been tainted by sin, Our relationship with others has been tainted by sin and creation has been marred by sin. And so it's a a crooked world, warped circles, broken circles. And uh, Frederick Bruner goes on to say that that we could even translate this word peacemakers for circle makers. Uh, that, That we're called to go and draw circles around areas that have been broken by sin and proclaim the gospel of peace and, and, and bring about renewal and life change that we're called to draw circles around those who are afflicted and burdened and suffering and, and, and be a pillar of faith and hope to their life. You see, peace is, is, is not just peace with God. It's peace with others, peace with oneself and peace with creation. But when we consider Jesus' context, he had something else in mind. He was considering something more specific, and that's the healing of divisions in the community. Uh, Because what would arise in an honor and shame culture is that some people would be more esteemed by others and some would be pushed to the margins and uh, there would be all sorts of rivalries. And what Jesus was after is reconciliation in the church. And we see this because he calls a guy like uh, uh, Simon the Zealot, a, a terrorist against Rome, and Matthew, a tax collector who has given his allegiance to Rome, and he begins to unite them and they experience reconciliation, not founded upon their common interests or differences, but simply because Jesus is uniting them together. And they're experiencing the reconciliation through Christ. And so we just, and so Jesus says that they will be called sons of God. Now, this is scandalous because in Rome, in Jesus' time, Julius Caesar, 42 years before Jesus stepped on the scene, uh, he was called the divine Julius. And uh, he was nicknamed the son of God. And he had a son named Octavian who rose up to power and they called him son of the God. And there were all sorts of coins and stuff that were imprinted that had, hey, uh, this emperor is the son of God. And yet what Jesus is saying is that his followers are the true peacemakers. Not, not the Roman emperor, not the elite who are trying to make a world of peace for themselves at the expense of misery for others. Rather, the true sons and daughters of God are not the elite, are not the powerful, are the kingdom citizens who he's brought into his family. And he calls the, the, the peacemakers to go and proclaim this good news of grace and mercy to communities all around them so they can experience reconciliation. Now, we've just covered a lot of scripture. And uh, there's a, a, a lot going on here and a lot more that can be said. But what does this mean for you and I? And why does it matter? Because if, if we're honest with ourselves, when, when we think about the idea of mercy, we love receiving mercy. We love being the recipients of love and kindness and compassion, but we don't like extending it to others. 
And when we do extend it to others, it's always under really strict circumstances. Who receives my mercy? Uh, Who receives my kindness and forgiveness and love for me? Uh, The people I like. The people that are close to me, the people that look like me, the people that I get along with, the people who don't have a track record of hurting me over and over again after I've given them my mercy. And maybe that's not your struggle. Maybe you don't struggle with giving away mercy. Maybe you don't believe you need mercy at all. Uh, And this was the case for the prideful religious leaders in Jesus's day and age. They thought they they had done so many good things and that they had lived a life worthy of God's approval, uh, that they were doing good things, good things will happen. They obeyed the law uh, and and they thought to themselves uh, that they didn't need mercy. They were so self-satisfied with their own performance that they didn't think they needed God's forgiveness. They were so impure in heart that they failed to see God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, as he was walking among them. If we're honest with ourselves, purity does not feel like a blessing. It does not feel like a gift. It feels like a struggle. And for some, it's a struggle to truly believe that God's vision for sex and for sexuality is more life-giving and liberating than your vision for sex and sexuality. And if we're honest, it's a struggle to sustain single-minded loyalty to God when there are a thousand different things pulling at your heartstrings, grabbing your attention that tell you how to live. Live for God? No, don't do that. If you really want to be happy and blessed, check this out. Live for God? No, that, that won't work. If you really want to be successful, assert yourself. Subscribe to this, do this. Live for God? No, that's not gonna do the trick. If you want a pain-free life, watch this, drink this, do this, take that. And you see, when Jesus is purifying us, The idea is not so much that Jesus is forming this type of person that is exceptionally moral and upright and has the appearance of having everything together and that they can do no wrong. And when you examine their history, uh, it's not one that has sinned against God much. And, And that's not what Jesus has in mind. In fact, time and time again, Jesus has turned away from those type of people. Because in their pride and in their self-righteousness, they have become a God to themselves and find no need for God. You see, when we talk about Jesus purifying our heart, it is by the power of the Holy Spirit that he comes in and begins to declutter our heart. That he begins to sift away at all the impurities, all the poisons that that, that we've self-inflicted upon ourselves. All the junk that has created a dam in your life that keeps the river of living water flowing freely through your heart. You see, when we see Jesus talking about purifying our heart, it's this idea that he's coming into your life and he's putting on his hard hat and taking a sledgehammer and tearing down brick by brick the restrictive barrier and enclosure that you've created that is housing all these things that is restricting the flow of God in your life. 
where we've stockpiled all sorts of sin and addictions and we've hoarded all sorts of shame and brokenness and despair and anger and unforgiveness. Jesus comes in brick by brick, bringing down the walls, clearing your heart with the blood of the lamb and bringing renewal to your life through his rivers of grace. And when you think about a river, it's easy to point out that, that a river isn't stagnant. It's active. It's moving. It's alive. It's flowing. And we are actively, not passively loved by God. We don't just read that God loves us. We see his actions on display, proving that he does when he enters into his creation, takes on flesh and blood, lives for you, dies for you, raises from the dead for you so that you can be brought into his family and enjoy his pleasure, his goodness, his mercy and grace all the days of your life. We're actively loved by God, not passively. So that means, church, that we don't respond passively to his love. We respond actively. And what does that look like? He calls us to be peacemakers. He calls us to, to go and to make peace, to draw circles around the people and communities that have been robbed, uh, 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 that have been robbed by sin and, and bring healing and transformation and God's power to all people and places and to advance his kingdom so that his people can become sons and daughters. And the good news of the kingdom of God is that the life he calls us to live, he lived out first. Jesus shows us this kingdom life. Uh, Jesus gives mercy away, and when he's not treated fairly or the way he deserves to be treated by us, he shows us that joy can be found in obedience to the Father and not people's response to our obedience. Jesus lived a life of mercy. He was uh, the bodily manifestation of mercy. When Jesus saw the sick and the lost, he had compassion on them. He healed them. He fed the hungry. He welcomed the stranger. He brought widows and orphans into his family. Jesus shows us that having a pure heart is not an oppressive vision for life and it's not restrictive at all. Rather, it's liberating to have a heart that isn't entangled by sin and set on the Lord. And he shows us that, that he goes after those who are not pure in heart, not pure even to the world standards. He goes after the prostitute. He goes after the leper. He goes after the corrupt and the demonized. And he goes to the cross so that you and I can experience the unthinkable. So that you and I can see the living God and experience relationship with him that is not dictated by our sins or performance, but is rooted and grounded in love. Jesus died to bring us into the family of God. For this reason, Jesus is the supreme peacemaker. As Paul declares, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated 
and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds entangled by sin, heart impure and restricted and damned off from the flow of God's living water. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless because sons and daughters of God, saints who are above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith. Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel you heard. And if you see your friend or your family shifting from the hope of the gospel, praise be to God that he has comforted us in our affliction so that we can comfort those who are being afflicted and show them the hope is, that is on the way. Proclaimed in all creation and under heaven of which I, Paul, became a minister. What do we do with this? If you've forgotten everything, this is the most important thing to remember. These Beatitudes are first and foremost an invitation and second, a call to action. These are an invitation to receive mercy, to receive the cleansing river of grace, to receive peace. And once we receive then we can go and share it with others, love others, serve others as God has loved us. Are you struggling to be merciful? Jesus invites you to come receive mercy. Struggling to walk in the purity that he's called you to walk. Jesus invites you to come receive his heart, his life. Are you struggling to experience peace and make peace? Jesus invites you to come receive the peace that he's made available for you. We receive first. We receive these blessings. We respond to this invitation. And as the Holy Spirit is at work in us, trust me, he will enable you to go and love others and serve others as we have been graciously and generously loved by God. How is your relationship with others? Maybe God's inviting us to examine our relationship with him. Where have you fallen out of step with Jesus? He's not calling you to work. He's calling you to receive and come back to him. And as we receive him and overflow with him, he will commission us and send us to love. Let's close in prayer.